morning, Journey. Deep, deep heart-wrenching personal suffering and pain is good for you. Embrace suffering and pain. I was once told that if you grasp the audience's attention by making them upset, then, then you're starting out good. So just wondering, did, did that work? Did I grasp your attention with that? <laughs> but have you ever thought about your approach to suffering? And, and I mean, not just like I'm having a bad day kind of suffering, but legit, this is a hard season of life kind of suffering. You know, what, what's your attitude uh, with your heart when you face those difficult times? It might be long-term illness, it might be cancer, it might be death of a loved one, loss of a job. What's your heart look like in seasons like that? You know, there's a few approaches you could take. You can wallow in the muck and mire of it all and stay there. You can pray for escape, you know, with your prayers saying, take this away kind of prayers, but still stay in the muck. You can look to God for strength in the midst of it. But there's another approach that we can take as well. We can look to God for strength, yes, but and in the midst of it, point others to Jesus while you are in it. That's why we can truly say that pain and suffering is sometimes good for us because we can use it to point other people to Jesus. It gives us the opportunity to talk about our faith, to talk about what Jesus means in our life. And because of that, it can uh, be good for the kingdom and good for people that need to know Jesus. So when we take this approach to suffering, then our prayers shift and, and they become things like, strengthen me so that I may strengthen others. Or give me strength so that I may help others build their faith. Or in hard times, Lord, may I point others to you. So do you see the difference between the two? One's like, take it away, get it out of my life. And the other is, Lord, let me use this for your glory. Then it can become a good thing in the end. Well, we see this kind of approach in the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. John 17 is, has often been called the Lord's other prayer, not, not the Our Father, but in this chapter, he goes deep into prayer for us as disciples. We're still in our series going through John 14 through 17 as we look at this portion of Scripture that gives us an intimate picture of Jesus' heart. So today, let, let me read our scripture. I'm going to pick up in the last verse of chapter 16, and then we're going to transition into chapter 17. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. After Jesus has said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give them eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Scholar and author Kent Hughes says that John 17 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible and certainly one of the most treasured. Some refer to it as the holy of holies of sacred scripture, the revelation of the inner sanctum of Christ's heart as he bared his soul in a final public prayer to the Father. Well, today, as we look at this chapter, we get a high-resolution MRI of his heart. Now, Jesus prays this final prayer really in the shadow of the cross, because within a few hours, things are going to transition quickly to his arrest, to his trial, to his crucifixion. So not only is he preparing himself for this momentous occasion, he's thinking about his disciples, he's thinking about his followers. So Jesus prays that through his suffering, through the mission of the cross, two things might, might happen. One, God is glorified, and two, we might know God the Father and Jesus the Christ and step into eternal life. So that's kind of where we're heading in this text today. But ultimately, Jesus wants nothing more than for you to know him. And that's what it comes down to in this text. Now the hour is now at hand for this mission, this possibility, this reality of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior to come to fulfillment. But let, let me give you a little backstory before we get there. Back in John chapter 2, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus uh, performs his first miracle, which was at a wedding in Cana, and he, he changes water into wine. But it says in John 2, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother came to him and said, they have no more wine. And then I like, it's interesting, Jesus' response. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And now here in 17, 15 verses, chapters later, John 17 tells us, as Jesus records these words, my hour now has come. The time has come for Jesus to be glorified, for his mission to be completed, fulfilled, and our relationship with the Creator God to become real. So Jesus is glorified first on the cross as the Messiah. So he reveals himself and his purpose. This is really his final revelation of himself as Christ. Now, you might know this already, but, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like Dave Fremstead, Jesus Christ. It's the Christ. It's, it's a title. It's, it's who he is. It's saying that he is the promised Messiah. Now, in the language of the Bible, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and a little, little bit of Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. So when the authors of the New Testament sometimes refer back to those Old Testament books, they need to translate those Old Testament words into New Testament words. So the word Christ is the Greek translation of the word Messiah, which both mean anointed or anointed one. 
Now that might seem insignificant, but it's not, because in the Old Testament era of Israel, back in, you know, in the writings of the Old Testament, the Messiah was significant. That's the, that's the one person all of Israel waited for. It was the Messiah was, was going to be the coming ruler, the, an anointed leader that was going to bring about this age of peace and liberty from oppression. And then fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus is saying that I am the Messiah. The Messiah is Jesus who came to bring in liberty, not from Roman rule, but from sin and freedom from oppression, not from foreign powers, but from the weight of sin, and he brings in peace with God. So that title that Jesus gives himself really describes his purpose. So when he says his hour has now come, he's saying that his job, his role, his, his significance of who he was as Messiah is now coming to completion because he brings about freedom from sin. He's going to liberate from oppression that the sin holds, but he also ushers in a new kingdom as a new ruler, as a new king. He's saying there's a new exodus at hand, not from slavery from Egypt, but from the slavery that holds all humanity down, and that is sin. In that liberation, it ushers in a relationship, the possibility of a relationship. That's why Jesus can stop in this prayer and say, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the task you gave me to do. That, that's why just two, two chapters later, at the end of John, while on the cross, Jesus could say the words, it is finished. His work as the Messiah, as the Christ, is now done. You see, all of his life pointed to the cross, and his death completed the work of the cross. So what, what do we learn what do we learn from the cross? Well, we learned a few things. One is holiness. We see the holiness of God on the cross, in the cross, as nowhere else. You see, sin had to be dealt with in God's eyes. And the cross was the method to deal with it. With God's holiness, we see his hatred of sin and his refusal to compromise in it or with it. So it required the cross. It required the death of the Messiah. So we see holiness on the one hand, but we also see love. We see God's love for us in this vast cost that was paid for our salvation, for our redemption to bring us back into that relationship. And by sending his one and only son to the cross, God shows us that there's no limit to the love that he has for us. There's, there's no cap, there's no limit that he gives. And our Savior had come to glorify God by showing God's love to all of humanity, by showing it to us today. And the cross shows that like nothing else could. So the cross shows us God's holiness. The cross shows us God's love. But the cross also shows honor. Because for Jesus, the, the cross was not a place of shame, but a place of honor. That's why Jesus can pray in verse 5, says, Now, Father, glorify, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. 
I mean, Jesus is about to go to his death. He knows what's coming. He knows his arrest and this, the sham of a trial is coming his way. And he says, glorify me in your presence. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, it says this in verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I love how the author of Hebrews just kind of wraps up this prayer in John 17 by, by saying this is God's glory to provide purification for sins and then sit down at the right hand of God. That is God's glory. And then in Philippians chapter 2, it just talks about the power of who Christ is when it says, beginning in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he, referring to Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then listen to what God does. God, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. In other words, this is a place of honor. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, through his death, Jesus is exalted. Through his death, God puts him in a place of honor, highly exalted, so that all of humanity is going to bow before him. So Jesus is glorified in the cross and through the mission of the cross. He's glorified in accomplishing the mission of the cross. But Jesus is also glorified through the church in us as his followers. Look back at verse 2. It says, For you granted him, Jesus, authority over all people so that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And then Jesus defines what eternal life is when he says, Now this is eternal life that you may know, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This knowing Christ, man, it's the heart of that passage of John 17. And it's the heart of the Father. So Jesus defines eternal life, not just something future, not just something out there, not just regard to heaven, but in a very personal, relational knowledge of God the Father and His Son, Jesus the Christ. He defines it in this relational sense. So eternal life is, is what we have here and now in our relationship with the Father. Eternal life starts now. And as I studied this passage, that was kind of the big aha moment for me this week. You know, I always thought eternal life was, you know, after death. Something that, you know, once you died, you faced God. But in reading this, God really showed me that eternal life for us begins here and now. So when we come to know God the Father and His Son, Jesus the Christ, we already begin to experience something of what heaven is. 
In fact, we, we begin to experience what the primary idea of heaven's about. It's about this real living relationship with our Creator. So if eternal life is about knowing God the Father and Jesus the Christ, you know, what's, what's the idea behind this knowing? What does it look like to, to know Jesus Christ? Well, knowing, first of all, involves kind of the head part, learning. For us, that's basic Bible knowledge, you know, to know the stories of how God has moved throughout history, know the history and timeline of Jesus, his son, and, and how he lived and moved and acted here on earth. Part of it becomes meaning uh, that we become a student of the Bible. We dig into it. We dig deep. And we have a basic understanding of it. But it doesn't stop up here because knowing Christ also involves intimacy. There's an intimacy of, of a relationship where it moves from just head knowledge to heart knowledge. When it's not just knowing about Christ, but it's really knowing Him in an intimate way. So let your learning, let your study, let, let that academic part lead you to a place of love. Let your study drive you to your knees in prayer. Let your study uh, grow into a passion for Jesus. And knowing Christ also involves growing. So it's not just head knowledge, it's, it also includes heart, but it also includes, you know, what we do every day of our lives, growing in a relationship with Him. It's not meant to be static. In just, um, a, well, about a, about a month from now, Dory and I are going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And how I relate to Dory now is a whole lot better than how I related to her 30 years ago. Yes, we were in love 30 years ago, and we were infatuated and going all goo-goo and gaga over each other, but, but now, today, I'm more in love with her than I was 30 years ago. And the same is my, in my relationship with Jesus. It's like, yes, when I first came to Him as my Savior, man, I was passionate about Jesus, but now I'm more in love with Jesus today and His Word than I was, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Also, I, I think about it in, in regards, and another example might be the, the military, if you've ever served in the military. But before you sign up and go in, you, you might have a basic knowledge of the military. Like before I joined the Marines, I, I learned about the Marines when a high school, when a recruiter came to our high school. And I thought, man, those are pretty cool looking uniforms, you know, so I kind of knew what that looked like. I knew a little bit, little bit about the kind of the history of the Marines or how they related to the other services. And I knew their boot camp was supposed to be hard. You know, that was kind of head knowledge. But then I stepped into what, what you might call an intimate relationship with the Marine Corps when I, when I stepped into boot camp and got to experience the, the love and affection of drill instructors like, like I never knew before. Very, very intimate, deep, personal relationship with the drill instructors. You know, it's, it's going from, yeah, just an understanding about it to like being in it, you know, deep knowledge. And I think that's, that's what a relationship with Jesus looks like too. Yeah, we, we have an understanding. We know, we know the scripture or hopefully we know some of the scripture, but that hopefully leads you to that deeper intimate personal relationship 
where your knees are dirty because they're, they're, you're on your knees in prayer, where your hands are dirty where, because you're involved in ministry, you're involved in other people's lives, where, where your heart breaks because, because you see sin, because you see brokenness in the world. That's what it looks like to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And as we, as we know Christ, as we grow in that knowledge of him, he is glorified in the lives of his followers, in us, in his church. So through his church today, his glory and his mission is now seen, proclaimed, and moves forward. So reflecting the glory of Christ to the world and the purpose of, of Christ and the role of the Messiah and what he has come to do now becomes our mission Back in the Old Testament, when Moses went and encountered God on Mount Sinai, and he goes up to the mountain, and he, and he, and he literally speaks with God, and, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he comes down um, off the mountain with the tablets, and Scripture tells us that, that his face reflected and re radiated the glory of God. But it was so intense that, that Moses put on a veil over his face to, to veil the, the glory of God. And then later we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 how the apostle Paul brings about kind of a practical application of that and, and teaches us how things have changed in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3 it says, And we, believers who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed, we're being changed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So question for you this morning, Journey. Are we reflecting Jesus to those around us? Are, are we showing Jesus an ever-increasing glory with the people that we rub shoulders with? Well, how can we do that? Well, you do it by making time for one another, by investing in other people. You know, th this past week we had vacation Bible school, and I saw adults and students and high schoolers investing in other students, investing in our children. Or it might look like you just making time for one another scheduling a lunch, having coffee, getting together for breakfast, just intentionally making connections for friendships and relationships. Because life isn't all about work or hobbies. It, make, make it about people. Because Jesus cares about people. So believers are the world's best hope for seeing the glory of God. Let me say that again. Believers are the world's best hope for seeing the glory of God. But also, believers are also the greatest liability as well. You know, we, we could do great things for the glory of God, or we can do great things to destroy or harm the work of God. It all depends on how we are growing and how much we know Jesus. We can destroy or build. That's why Jesus prays for us in John 17. Jesus makes the Father's glory real and makes it tangible and, and makes it possible. So, Journey, let me encourage you to be people of the Word. Know the story of Scripture. Know how God has moved and act, acted. Be people of prayer. 
grow in intimacy with Christ. You know, join us as we pray together on Sunday mornings in the prayer room. Tomorrow night's our next praise and prayer night. Come on out and let's pray corporately together. But also be a people of growth. Growing in our faith, in our ministry. Don't stagnate. As the praise team comes forward this morning, this prayer for glory, it's a prayer for the character of Jesus to be revealed to us, to be made known, for his heart to be revealed. And his desire, his heart, is that we know him. So, Journey, let me close with this question. Do you know the one true God? Do you know Jesus the Christ whom God has sent? Do you know him with your head and heart and hands? If you don't, or if you're not sure about what that looks like, let me ask you just to do one thing today. Come talk to me. Come talk to Adam. Talk to one of our leaders, our elders, and let's have a conversation of what that relationship looks like. Because I'm with Jesus on this one that I desire nothing more than for you to know him. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the scripture. I want to thank you for just the prayer of Jesus and how he prays, not only for him to be glorified, but for us to step into a relationship with him. So, Father, I pray that for the people here today, that they may know you, not in just an academic head sense, but in a very real, personal way. So, Father, do that work in our lives. Do that work for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.